0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be exploring the rise of consumerism in healthcare. Now, healthcare is evolving, and with that comes a new focus on the consumer. So, what does this mean for patients? How about providers? How is this changing the landscape of how we approach healthcare delivery? Now, our guest today is Mike Dandorf, and he's the president and CEO of Tufts Medicine. A leading integrated healthcare system bringing together the best of academic and community healthcare across Eastern Massachusetts. Now, Mike is a leading and highly regarded executive with more than 30 years of experience on consumer centered patient care. Now, together, we'll explore how consumerism is changing the landscape of healthcare and how it's impacting patient and employee well being. Before we get started, please click the like button below. Share it with your colleagues and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glen Yopies. Let's get started. The 2022 season of Personalization Outbreak podcast is brought to you by City of Hope, a world leader in the research and treatment of cancer, diabetes and other life threatening diseases. City of Hope has been ranked among the nation's best hospitals in cancer by U.S. News and World Report for over a decade. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopes. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, And founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist.
1: Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Glenn. It's great to be here with you and uh, to talk about some important things in healthcare. Well, Mike, speaking of,
0: what do you think? I mean, you sit in a very Precarious position in healthcare. You're a CEO, and with all these changes in healthcare in the world around us, what do you see as some of the biggest
1: challenges that healthcare CEOs are facing today? Yeah, so uh, Glenn, I'd say, I'd probably start with our biggest challenge right now is related to our workforce, and I think this is true in a lot of industries. Uh, the healthcare workforce, particularly the frontline staff, have really gone through the most difficult experiences of their entire careers, uh, the most challenging experiences in, in, in all of our careers in a lot of ways. And um, there was a lot of stress and burnout that existed, particularly with physicians and nurses and other, other members of the care team before the pandemic, and coming out of the pandemic. After that, those two and a half years, um, we really exponentially increased that. So, really starting to think about how can we really support the workforce, and and how can we transform the work in a way that takes some of the learnings during the pandemic, um, and uses those as opportunities instead of just thinking those uh, thinking of those as challenges.
0: Well, Mike, let's let's touch on this a little bit further. What you said was so. It was just so accurately true that coming out of the pandemic, burnout, fatigue uh, has gotten worse. So how how would you recommend or what have been your thoughts around how do we begin to not only respect the individuals where they're at, but how do we give them the room to kind of refresh? Because, I mean, at this point this level of burnout just isn't sustainable.
1: So I think this is a philosophical, uh, uh, an important philosophical distinction around the way that I think about leadership and the way that I ask our senior team to think about leadership. And I go back to the philosophy of lean, which I think many people get wrong. Uh, They think about lean as a way to reduce costs or, or drive efficiencies. But if you go back, to the the originating philosophy of lean, when Toyota developed it, it was all about designing work with respect for people at its core. Uh, Are we organizing things in a way that actually um, makes it easier for people to get their work done, where they feel more supported? And how do we organize in that regard? And I think this gives us an opportunity to really rethink that uh, in a lot of ways. There's aspects of this that um, I think, you know, we just gotta, we gotta change some policies and procedures. Uh, we've talked about that in the context of humanizing the work environment. Um, are we asking people to be ready to answer emails 24 seven? Or are we gonna have uh, quiet periods where we expect people not to do emails and wait till the next, the beginning of the next day when it's not an emergency? Um, obviously we're all, in healthcare and healthcare is a 24 uh, seven industry. So, you know, people need to be on call and need to, people need to be ready to come in in emergencies, um, but it doesn't mean that you have to be constantly, you know, 24 seven in that regard. We ask people to, to use their vacation time, right? To make sure that they're separating when they, uh, when they, when they go on vacation and they're not checking emails every day uh, overall so that they get that space to decompress uh, and And find ways um, to do that and 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 replenish themselves um, personally in, in a lot of ways. so what is this where did this
0: concept of humanizing work come from? and you know how can maybe it provide can provide more clarity uh, for the industry that's facing these issues
1: with their employees uh, on a daily basis? I, I think it came um, from a couple of different places. One, we knew during the pandemic, that stress was climbing, and we were fi- trying to find ways that we could focus on the well-being of our staff, particularly our nurses and our physicians that were really at the front line. But we really started to understand that um, our caregivers are incredibly important because they're really delivering care to the patients and the consumers that we serve. But really everybody's part of the team, and everybody's supporting them in, in, a, in a way. Um, And the well-being of everybody is important, right? If we're really going to have a high-performing team uh, in that regard. And as we were talking about how, as a senior team, how could we really accelerate and make more meaningful the importance of well-being um, and individual wellness uh, and making people feel valued uh, and and supported? Um, It was one of our executives that came up with the phrase Hey, we need to humanize work. We need we need to create and redefine some of the rules of work, uh, and and put some parameters around it so that people can have time to decompress. And it's something that we then took and and, and broadened across the system.
0: You know, it's interesting, Mike. Um, you know, for so many years, healthcare uh, has been about patient centricity. We're going to talk about consumerism and the patient in just a moment, but. Uh, When you think about quality, when you think about safety, how can those things be delivered if our people aren't prepared to treat patients as individuals? And this is the first time uh, that I've heard it in in recent years that we can't deliver what our mission is for our patients and the communities that we serve until we start seeing how we treat our employees. And give them the room to be and give them the safety to feel as if they can be more human in their work rather than follow this continuous process of rigid systems and perspectives that, you know, now we're asking so much from them. But yet in our pursuit of our mission, um, we need to start recognizing that without them, there is no mission. And so I love how you guys have opened your, your mindset around the importance of dehumanizing work. I think that's great. I think that's a lesson for everyone in the industry. Now, as you know, Mike, there's the age of personalization is all about how to best serve a much more informed and knowledgeable individual. And this whole concept of consumerism in healthcare isn't new, though it seems like it's still people are still trying to figure it out. In fact, many systems. Are falling short. How are you approaching patients as consu- patients as consumers differently? What's the stickiness factor? Why is it
1: working at Tufts? Yeah. So we started in um, the way that we started to talk about consumers was when I, I first arrived here in late January of 2020, six weeks before the, the pandemic started. It became, it was evident to me while I was being recruited that one of the things that we needed to do as an organization was to anchor on a common vision. So I came in thinking, okay, I'm going to start a process pretty quickly about how do we bring people together across the system, several hospitals, our physician network, our home care company, um, our executives, our board. We should all be saying we stand for the same thing, right? That becomes our true north. And we started that work actually right just before we realized that COVID was going to hit us uh, in Boston, and we then put that on the shelf for a little while. And we brought it back after the first surge, and we went at the work of what what anchors us, what's going to make us different, how are we going to what what, what binds us together, uh, so that we could start thinking of ourselves as one organization instead of six or seven organizations that happen to be collaborating with one another and sharing a name uh, in that regard. And what we anchored to was if we really started to think about the individuals and communities we served as consumers, and what does that mean, right? That means actually empowering the consumer, empowering the patient, not just doing things to them but really thinking about how do we empower them to live their best lives, right? Hmm. And that you know has become our mission, right? Our mission is to empower people to live their best lives, the people that we serve, the consumers, and the people that work inside the organization. And it becomes liberating for the people inside the organization to think about, hey, they're part of an organization that really cares about them living their best lives so that they can help others to live their best lives, uh, and empower others to live their best lives. But there's an empowerment aspect of consumerism in my mind, right? Um, And there's also an anticipation nature Mm -hmm. of this. We anticipate what you might need so that when you ask for it, we'll be able to deliver on it Um, and start to pre-think what individuals need, whether they're patients or whether they're community members that never wanna become a patient. Um, overall, you know what I love about what you said. It seems to me that you're almost looking at serving
0: the individual as three dimensional. It's community and uh, community patient and your employee, and you're using this this you know motto around empowerment to empower all three parts of the stool in many respects. Um, how do you keep something like that consistent, Mike? I mean. Clearly, you know, we make these moves to be more mindful of the people doing the work and the outcomes that we deliver. But how do you keep the quality of this work consistent?
1: Yeah, it's the relentless communication. And I think about communication in a bi directional way. Mm-hmm. It's not Mike talking to the leadership team or the leadership team talking to their respective parts of the organization or me having town halls, I do that. But um, part of those town halls are actually asking people questions and to engage, right? Because listening is part of that, it, that communication process uh, overall. And it's a big part of change management, right? Really trying to understand where are our teams, what are what are patients expecting, and how do we exceed the expectations? Of those that we serve, whether it's the people inside or outside the organization, um, overall, you know, I I like to tell a story um, about my wife when I think about consumerism, um, and because, uh, and I'll use this as an example. Um, she has a history of breast cancer in her family. Her mom had breast cancer, um, survived, and and lived a a, a long life, um, but but my wife, you know, has has some genetics that would um, indicate that she may uh, get breast cancer at some point in time. So she's really studied what uh, mammography is, the different types of mammography, the different types of imaging, um, how often she should go uh, and and has a high expectation, but she never wants to be thought of as a patient. Mm -hmm. If she becomes a patient, it means that she, something happened to her, that she actually has cancer, right? But she wants to be empowered to make sure that she gets the 3D mammography um, and the 3D ultrasound because that she knows that that's what's most likely going to find her it, it, identify breast cancer early, uh, early enough to treat um, uh, overall. So she she, wa- she wants that to be an even relationship with her mammographer. Uh, uh, and breast imaging uh, 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 team, um, that it's not either or. It's not them just doing something to her. It's really them empowering and engaging her as a consumer, the way that we would want to be engaged with Amazon. Um, you know, I use Amazon as an, a great example, right? Who have collected information about us, anticipate our needs, and then make it really easy when we make a decision uh, to order something very, very quickly. Um, I often joke that they they tell me that that I need something before I ever thought that I needed it. And I don't I I don't agree all the time. But when I do, I can, you know, click two buttons and they'll have it delivered to my home before I get home. Um, Well, why can't we think about why can't that be true in healthcare? What do we what needs to be true for us to deliver on that kind of a promise to the consumer in a way that empowers them where they feel like they have more control over their health?
0: Well, Mike, I mean, this is the story. First of all, thank you for sharing that story about your wife, but it's clear that your wife was in pursuit of being seen as an individual. And when that happens, it changes the hierarchical structure and it actually turns it around. It becomes more about her uh, and less about uh, anybody else dictating how her care will be delivered. In fact, this is when co-design comes into play, doesn't it? Well,
1: it's co-design, and we intentionally use the word empower in our mission statement. We weren't going to improve the lives of others, you know. Although there are times where we play a more active role, but it's really around: can we actually give people the power back, Um, the information, a level of control? because that actually increases their confidence level, right? Always being there to support them, always being there when we need them. Um, And, you know, that's driven our digital strategy. It's it's redesigning some of our workflows and processes to really start to hone in on how do we really empower others to improve their health and their lives?
0: That takes an extraordinarily (laughs) high level of trust, Mike. I salute you. I mean, for you to basically say I'm putting the control in the hands of the individual uh, and for us to meet their unique needs, that's a major shift in thinking. In fact, uh, you've mentioned to me, um, if we can kind of divert a bit, but maybe this is a little bit of the same, is this whole concept of frictionless experiences for physicians and staff as well as patients. Um, Tell us a little bit about
1: this concept and, and how does it work? Yeah, it came up in our visioning work um, when when we really talked about um, we've over a, many years, decades probably built policies and procedures that added to, to the burdens of practice uh, mm-hmm. in, in many ways, and the word friction came up a couple of times, mm-hmm. and I actually threw out there, well, what if what would frictionless look like? Uh, and we actually, we went through an exercise where I asked people to um, think of themselves that they were in a rowboat, that everybody in the room, we had 25 or 30 people in the room. And I said, imagine we're sitting in a big rowboat and everybody's rowing in their own direction. They're rowing really hard. They're, they're doing their best, but they're really rowing in, in, in the direction they want to go in um, overall. And then I asked people to step back and say, okay, now think about... We're all in the same boat. We're all rowing in the same direction, in the same cadence. And how does that feel differently? Mm. Think about flying through the water um, like a skull going down the river, right? Um, And it's just almost becomes effortless Mm. because everybody is in sync. We're working in unison with one another. we're 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 not challenging one another. we're actually supporting one another, and we're carrying each other through the water in a different way. How does that feel different? And can we create that experience for everybody inside the organization and ultimately for the patient? We have a very fragmented, complex industry. The, the, the provider system is complex, the insurance system is complex, the pharmaceutical system is complex. They all interact with one another. What if we were the place that said, you know what, we're going to we're going to take some of that complexity out. We're going to we're going to create. We're going to bring simplicity into the equation, control into the equation um, and actually break down the barriers of why should all that fragmentation and friction exist? Why can't we keep people connected uh, and provide connected care in a meaningful way uh, overall? Why couldn't information be at people's fingertips when they want it? And we're not pushing information when they don't really need it. Uh, So that we're sort of almost a just in time uh, philosophy in a way.
0: Yeah, well, that's a great depiction about trying to find the balance between standardization and personalization, Mike, which leads me to my final question as we wrap things up. You know, all these changes, um, it's impressive, but all this boils down to leadership. How have you built a new leadership team? Uh, We know that you have. And how did you do it? And how did you start changing up the traditional roles, responsibilities, and management approaches? In fact, why did you think the changes in, let's call it tradition, needed a change to be something much more transformative? One of the
1: um, key aspects of, what we agreed agreed we needed to do as a leadership team was we needed to become more, more integrated. I said earlier we didn't we shouldn't act like a holding company where everybody was optimizing their part of the business. you know the, like I said, there are six or seven components of the business, and um, that everybody's you know optimizing their own little section and 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 think of ourselves more as an operating company, right? There were one organization. And we're coordinating everything across that organization in service to our mission and our vision uh, overall, and everything has to anchor back to that. Uh, and so, you know, we had some leaders that actually didn't like that idea, and they wanted to optimize and run their own business their way. And you know, we decided that maybe this wasn't the place uh, for you. We had to make some hard decisions, but we got to, we got um, a leadership team. That's really passionate around changing the experience for the individuals and communities we serve, treating people like consumers and are, and are bringing a servant leadership mentality to that. Right. And what do I mean by that servant leadership? We use that word. We use that phrase a lot. I describe it internally in our leadership development um, uh, modules and program as and we really have to carry this out. Um, and, And I think it can change us as an organization. I have people that report to me. I work for them. They don't work for me. It's not their job to make me successful. It's actually my job to make them successful. And if my direct reports do that for the people that report to them and they work for, and that goes all the way to the front line, and that philosophy carries all the way through to the consumer, we're going to transform healthcare but it really takes that philosophy and people really being passionate about it. And it's not made for everybody. Some people you know, climb the corporate ladder and think now they're in control, when in fact climbing the corporate ladder means now you're supporting the rest of the organization. You're at the bottom of the, the, the ladder, not at the top.
0: <laughs> Mike, I, I'll, uh, I feel like we've had a discussion about uh, something that has been very dear to me over the years, which is without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. And you clearly have depicted how healthcare has has so many opportunities to move from feeling comfortable with incrementalism and taking us to a point where we can transform and feel like we're actually evolving. So keep pushing us, Mike. Keep pushing us. I'm. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. I mean, we could talk all day, Mike. And by the way, uh, just so our guests know, Mike will be a a, a speaker at our 2022 Leadership in the Age of Personalization Summit at Clemson University on October 14th. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure.
1: Thanks, Glenn. It was great talking with you and uh, learning from you as I always do. And I look forward to our time together in October.
0: And as we close every show and we lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't. And keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day, and remember without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org.